sorry folks, we're closed for two weeks to clean and repair America's favorite family fun podcast. Sorry, uh-huh, uh-huh, uh-huh. Wait, 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 no, 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 we're not, we're not going anywhere. Folks, you're going to want to buckle up for this wild edition of the Film Effect Podcast. My name's Ed, let's bring this in the only appropriate way possible. Guys, welcome to the Film Effect Podcast, where we take all things film to the full effect. Again, my name is Ed Snyder. I am your host of the show. Before we get into things, I want to let you know you can check out previous episodes of the show on iTunes, Spotify, Google, iHeartRadio, Stitcher, Breaker, and wherever else you enjoy your favorite shows. You can also check me out on both Facebook and Instagram, both at the Film Effect Podcast. And if you guys have any questions, comments, or requests, you can always email them to thefilmeffectpodcast at gmail.com. And of course, if you have the time, five-star ratings always help. Um, helps with the algorithm. Helps, you know, get the podcast known. We're trying to grow and expand, and every little thing counts. Um, every listen counts. So yeah, if you're able to, give us leave us a good rating or and uh, and a positive review too. That always helps. Secured so events. Um, you know, really, it's this. It's just been kind of quiet. Um, honestly, uh, I've been working a lot. Uh, overall, it's looking like the uh, COVID numbers are looking better. I mean, they're still bad, but they're you know not as bad as they've been. I know more and more people have been getting vaccinated. I know I know a lot of people who have been uh, getting their second vaccinations lately. So, best of luck to all of them. Thank you guys so much. Um, I've got one coming up, and yeah, weekly recommends. What would you get for a six-year-old boy who chronically wets his bed? This week, I'm going to recommend a oldie but a goodie something that i picked up recently and watched in 4k it's actually something that i was going to cover um <clears throat> i was going to cover this film on the show a couple weeks back but tying in the black history month okay i'm gonna just lay it out there the reason if, if anyone has been i was kind of i kind of quietly pulled this episode i was gonna do it on uh do the right thing of course that's the film i'm talking about um and I just, I don't know, I, I, I just didn't feel comfortable with doing it. Nothing against the film or Spike Lee or anyone, you know, for that matter. I, but I just don't think anyone really gives a shit about what this white guy from the suburbs of Baltimore has to say about black history. I didn't feel comfortable devoting an entire hour, two-hour episode Tying it into Black History Month and everything, I just didn't feel comfortable with it. Um, I do plan on covering Do the Right Thing. That episode will be coming. Uh, I just didn't feel right putting it out last month, though. 
Um, so yeah, the but the film itself it is so goddamn good, and the 4K transfer. I mean, I got a peek of it last year with the uh, Criterion Blu-ray that they put out. It had the transfer on there, but that's just a compressed 1080p disc. This is the real deal here, and this, of course, it's never looked this good before. But other than that, it sounds amazing. Um, they brought back the kind of orange summertime heat tint that the 20th Blu-ray uh, did away with for reasons that are beyond me. Uh, but yeah, overall, it looks incredible. It sounds amazing. The film is fucking flawless. And uh, that's my weekly recommend for this week. So yeah, do the right thing. 4K. Pick it up. It's like 20 bucks right now on Amazon. Um, I got my copy from my local record store, The Soundgarden, but Target has it, Amazon, Best Buy. It's about 20 bucks. It's well worth it, though. So, yeah, getting into this week's movie. I'll tell you something. This is no longer a vacation. It's a quest. It's a quest for fun. I'm going to have fun, and you're going to have fun. We're all going to have so much fucking fun... They're going to need plastic surgery to move our goddamn smiles. The moose says you're closed. I say you're open. Praise Marty Moose. Holy shit. This is vacation. This summer, when you think vacation, think National Lampoon's Vacation. See the real America. Hey, underpants. Hey, yellow. <laughs> it's friendly. I'm okay. I'm okay. <laughs> Don't you want to look at the Grand Canyon? It's educational. It's great. And most of all, it's fun. The dog went on the picnic basket. Let Chevy Chase. Beverly D'Angelo, Imogene Coca, Randy Quay, John Candy, and Christy Brinkley. Well, are you going to go for it? This is crazy, this is crazy, this is crazy. Take you for a ride. This summer, when you think vacation, think National Lampoon's <laughs> Vacation. Alright guys, with the 40th anniversary of this legendary comedy right around the corner, the legacy of National Lampoon's Vacation continues to live on today throughout a handful of sequels, a reboot, an updated Super Bowl commercial spot back in 2010, and countless documentaries and specials over the years. It's a universally loved comedy. Even when you hear people or comedians specifically talk about the movies that inspired them, nine times out of ten, you're going to hear them list Vacation as one of those films. And then there's the sequels. More specifically, Christmas Vacation, a comedy film that has become a beloved holiday classic of its own across families all over. I mean, this movie is big enough. Its sequel likes to match it. And... I just think that's just incredible. And not to leave out European Vacation or Vegas Vacation, uh, I'm personally a pretty big Vegas Vacation fan myself. Um, 
yeah, I, I think the general consensus is uh, pretty much European is a no-go. I mean, European tried too hard. For starters, I think that movie's PG. I haven't seen European Vacation since I was a kid. Um, maybe it deserves a rewatch after all these years. I don't know. I just never liked it. And he, when you're a kid and you don't like a movie, that says something. Um, this movie's so big that, like I said, Christmas Vacation rivals it in, in terms of just popularity and, and which is the bigger comedy and... You know, personally, I think this is, obviously, because this is the film that inspired most comedies now and and throughout the last decade or so, a handful of years. You know, a lot of people list this movie, like I said, and rightfully so. This movie is so funny. Even today, the comedy holds up. You know, there's really not a whole lot that doesn't hold up. You know, I, I've, got a, I've got a category about that we'll get into later on. But, you know, this movie's huge, and it was big when it came out almost 40 years ago, like I said. Um, it continues to just be a popular, beloved cult comedy classic today. I don't even think the, the term cult is even needed, because it's generally loved. I mean, this is like my mom's favorite film, and I'm going to talk about that in a little bit. Um, let's just get into it. First time viewing. Uh, it's it's just that, you see, this is actually uh, my my first time. No, no, my for it's my first time uh, since my first time. So technically, that's my second time, and I don't, I don't, I don't want to suck at it. And you know, like I just said, my mom, this was one of her movie. This was one of her favorite films growing up. When I was growing up, and I used to watch it a lot. Um, Specifically, when it was on TV, I, I can't really pinpoint an actual first time viewing on this because I saw it so much as a kid. Um, it was always on cable TV, so or you can imagine over the years I would watch that thing anytime it was on, and it was on a lot. So yeah, story time. Tell me a story. Wait, like my story? No, not your story. A story. Since you can't keep your mouth shut long enough for me to read my paper, tell me a story. I don't think I know any stories. You don't know any stories? No. All right, I'll tell you a story. This is a newspaper, right? It's 90% bullshit, but it's entertaining. That's why I read it, because it entertains me. You won't let me read it. So you entertain me with your bullshit. Tell me a story right now. Go. The story for this, it's not a personal one. Rather, how it came to be. Because, of course, it was written by John Hughes. You guys know John Hughes. John Hughes. We know him. Sixteen Candles. The Breakfast Club. Pretty in Pink. Planes, Trains, and Automobiles. My all-time favorite movie. Curly Sue. Uncle Buck. Home Alone. We know John Hughes. Anywho, so back during the Chicago Blizzard of 1979... He began developing a short story titled Vacation 58 for an issue of the National Lampoon Magazine. Now, the National Lampoon Magazine, for those of you who don't know, it's like a witty, satirical magazine uh, centers on parody through uh, content falling from cartoons to comic strips to editorials, stuff that include, you know, 
vulgar language and nudity, um, it, parody, and every kind of it was its mainstay. I mean, that that was National Lampoon, and of course, it spawned into various movies, including this one, Vacation. So. The story ended up being bumped from the initial vacation-themed issue, but it was eventually published in September of 1979 and subsequently optioned by Warner Brothers. When I, <clears throat> quote, when I brought it to Hollywood, the first guy I brought it to was Jeff Katzenberg, who was at Paramount, and quote, recalled producer Matty Simmons, who worked as a publisher at the National Lampoon. He said it would never make a movie, it was too episodic, too subsequential. I said, yeah, it's a road trip. It's supposed to be episodic. You go from town to town, place to place. But he didn't like it. So then my agent brought it to Warner Brothers and I met with them. Most of them said the same thing. But there was one executive over there, a guy named Mark Canton, who really pulled for it and got it made. Upon Simmons' agreement with Warner Brothers, Hughes was assigned the task of adapting his original story into a screenplay. And so he did. And in July 1982, that's when the filming began, and the movie was born. So yeah, uh, should we talk about it? Let's talk about it. Here we go! So the film kicks off to Lindsay Buckingham's Holiday Road. We're on that song a little bit later. Um, to a montage of just various postcards from around the country. From around the country, um, I think I spotted Gatorland. And a bunch of other little postcards from stops, little places all around the country, little places here and there, you know, theme with the film. And then it opens up in Chicago, Illinois. We're introduced to Clark Griswold and Rusty, played by Chevy Chase and Anthony Michael Hall. Uh, they're taking their car to Lou Glutz Motors to drop it off and pick up their new Antarctic Blue sports wagon. And... This is when we're introduced to Eugene Levy, uh, who plays Ed. I like that name. As soon as we see this guy, he's got this look on his face like, oh man, here it comes, because, yeah, car ain't there. And Ed, being the salesman that he is, tries to bullshit his way out of it. Clark, not picking up on any of it, stops him and says, look, I'm not your everyday average idiot. I, w I know what I want. I ordered my car. I want it now. No, he keeps on calling for this guy, Davenport. Um... And this guy Davenport just says, and when he asks what happened about the car that he ordered, he just says, I don't know. And that's what he says, you know, it's going to take six weeks to get the correct car. And then he goes, gives him the whole spiel. Now, I owe it to yourself to tell you that if you're thinking of taking your family across country, then this is your wagon. If you think you hate it now, where do you drive it? And that's when we're introduced to the family truckster in Metallic P. Uh, a car that was actually made specifically for the film. Um, it's not a real model, uh, contrary to what people think. Um, it's a funny story about that car. Um, it, it Like I said, it was made specifically for the film. It was based on the 79 Ford LTD uh, Country Squire station wagon model. The car was designed by George Barris, and it, and it lampooned American cars of the late 70s. The truckster features a pale avocado metallic green paint scheme, extensive, extensive, extensive imitation wood paneling decals, eight headlights, eight, Jesus Christ. I'll, that's the one thing I always think of when I, when I envision this car is those goddamn awful headlights. There's so many of them. Eight, Jesus. 
the second pair was taken from another Crown Vic Country Squire and mounted upside down above the stock pair. A grill area largely covered by bodywork with only two small openings close to the bumper, an oddly placed fuel filler, a fuel filler door, and an airbag made from a trash can liner. So yeah, this car was just made basically by a uh, production designer. And <laughs> yeah, it's not a real vehicle. So he ends up leaving with it because when he wants his car back, he, he he's had to trade in his old model. Because if you see him when he pulls up, they immediately take it back and they squash this thing and they just turn it into a can, basically. They, they just squash it down <coughs> and then they leave it for Clark when he goes to leave. <coughs> so yeah, he's essentially stuck with this car now for this trip that he's just hell-bent on doing anyway. Uh, he gets home in the next scene with the cranky-sounding truckster. Tells his wife, Ellen, played by Beverly D'Angelo, that he changed his mind. But Rust complains that they screwed up the order. And this is a good place to point out Chevy Chase's improvising. Because, like how he tells Ellen all the new cars that do that when she asks why it's still running. Um, he's just really quick and fly and sway. And that's why a lot of the dialogue and material in this movie wasn't from paper like it just came out of this dude's mind like this chevy chase that's one of his gifts like he's able to just think of something funny at an instant and just spit it out he's got perfect comedic timing and he just he's always been able to play like this smart aleck you know schmuck basically um and do it so well and yet you still laugh at him and you're not thinking like what a just piece of sh not what, what an asshole this guy is no he's funny as hell he's one of the funniest men funniest guys on the planet um yeah I, I i dread the day that chevy chase leaves us i really do not the not to sound morbid or anything like that but yeah it sucks um and then the next scene is clark and ellen cleaning up in the kitchen after dinner Arguing about driving russ's flying ellen thinks you know she's she actually asks you know wouldn't it be smarter to fly? But Clark, like I said, hellbent on having this trip. You know, he just he's able to put on his thing and, and convince her. You know why this two week you know cross country trip is an ideal idea for them and the family. You know because it's just something he wants to do, something to take the kids and and do as a family and and create them memories and savor the moment. You know. That's what Clark Griswold's always about throughout all these movies. That's that's like his family is his heart. You know, it's one thing you can always say about Clark is he wears his heart on his sleeve, and his family is his heart for sure. Um, so then he asks for everyone, all the kids, and everyone to come into the living room. He's gonna show them this. I don't know what the how to describe this thing. It's like a computer module simulation thing of. Um, simulating a trip it's a simulator essentially but this being the early 80s you know it's like a video game more or less that you play on the atari and when he's doing this with he's got the little you know eight bit four bit whatever bit uh truckster model and he's doing this you know he's doing the plan following along the lines you know that's what he has planned out across the states and then the kids all of a sudden interfere with like their 
one's an alien and one's a, a spacecraft and and they're trying to like blow up Clark's car during this and it's like <laughs> Donkey Kong and Galaxy uh, sound effects were actually used in the making of this scene um, and then the next scene's in the parting for their trip uh, the neighbors are there oddly enough sending them, sending them off reminding you that this is a different time you know 2021 our neighbors aren't out front of our houses bidding us farewell as we leave for our two-week trips it's just yeah uh wally world here we come and then the luggage hits the top of the garage door to spend sending all the suitcases and shit all over the place it's always been a funny bit uh, then the trip begins with Clark and Ellen singing Mockingbird before the entire family sings the Wally World theme song. Then the kids put their headphones on to some Ramones when Clark starts singing Jimmy Crack Corn. They can handle this, the <laughs> they can handle the Wally World theme song as a family, but when he starts when he breaks out Jimmy Crack Corn, nope, that's where we draw the line. Then we cut to Dodge City, Kansas, and they go to this old bar reenactment. The host is this Wyatt Earp actor. Uh, Russ makes a comment that he was a terrible Wyatt Earp, that he was even wearing sneakers, and then Clark tells him that's what they used to wear back then. Uh, then they go up, go up to the bar. Clark is arguing with this bartender, calling him all these names, lug nut. Then he comes back with the shotgun, blows him away with, with you know, it's this bit's kind of weird, but. <sighs> so then the fake shotgun ends up making uh, Audrey deaf. <laughs> kicking off what I think is a running gag. Now, I'm not, I can't speak on European vacation because, like I said before, I haven't seen it since I was a kid. She's practically frozen from head to toe in the beginning of Christmas vacation. And then in Vegas vacation, she gets the whole belly line with the, uh, from the sunroof when she's trying to, th- when she's trying to be a mate, when she's all amazed by Vegas and stuff, when she pokes out of the sunroof and Clark closes it in on her stomach, leaving that line. I'm thinking this was the start of a couple of, of gags. I, I I don't know. Probably knowing you know, knowing tradition with this franchise. So then the next scene is the first of several scenes with the red Ferrari girl, played by Christy Brinkley. Um, Clark ends Clark ends up going 80 miles an hour, calling causing Alan to flip out. And then in turn, in a, in a bit I've always thought was funny, he starts singing "Love for Sale" to himself. Um, so yeah, Christy Brinkley was a supermodel back then. I, th- I believe this was was a supermodel back then, and she's kind of like the dream girl for Clark. Um, or she's kind of like his dream girl. She pops up in several scenes, just no dialogue in, in, in the first few. It's just her on the road, like, passing by. Like she comes, she encounters her, you know, a few times throughout this film. And this is the first of them. It's kind of, you know, there's nothing to this sequence. It's just, you know, him and her driving by one another. And like I said, him going 80 miles an hour and Ellen noticing and flipping out. <clears throat> and then they get the Cousin Eddie's. I love Cousin Eddie. Who doesn't love Cousin Eddie, you know? Their kids, Vicky, Dale, and little Daisy Mabel, who is played by Violet Ramis, director Halo Ramis's little daughter. Um... Maisie Mabel is the one without a tongue, so she has no dialogue. Uh, Eddie's complaining about the banks being after him. Uh, he's doing this here, and then he does it in, the, in a couple scenes later. Um, this is the only sequence with Cousin Eddie in this movie. 
Um, it's not until Christmas Vacation and Vegas Vacation he becomes a predominant character. Um, even gets his own film, Christmas Vacation 2, which I can't speak on. I've never even taken the challenge. If anyone has, let me know. Uh, yeah. <laughs> and then, yeah, I know he wasn't in European Vacation at all. And so, yeah, they're... Cousin Eddie, for those of you who don't know, is played by Randy Quaid. He's just an idiot. He and that's his gimmick. That that's his stick. And you know, it it's funny. He he's the key moment of these films, in my opinion, is cousin Eddie. Um it sucks what's happened to him over the years. Uh not 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 Eddie, uh Randy Quaid. Uh but yeah, I'll I'll we'll get to that later on. So <clears throat> they're out front having a cookout. Only Eddie's not cooking burgers; he's cooking her burger buns, and just it's just homemade tomato ketchup, and condiments and buns. That's it. So go with it. <laughs> and then we see Vicky, who is uh, played by Jane Krakowski. She's stirring the fruit punch by hand. She's got her whole entire goddamn arm in the fruit punch. I've always liked this bit with her stirring it with her whole entire arm, and then Clark seeing it and saying, "You need help with that?" And she's just looking at him so cold <laughs> it's funny stuff and then we see vicky and audrey on the seesaw together talking about french kissing she says uh vicky says i'm going steady but i french kiss daddy says i'm the best at it um yeah i'm not sure how good that holds up today but uh <laughs> uh and then we see uh dale and rust in they're digging around his little worm farm uh, he says he's got a stack of nudies books this high. And then he says stuff like, This guy taught me something really neat last year. You ever bop your baloney? Now, growing up, that gag, we know what it means. We, we're, we're all, we, you know, bopping your, you know, okay. We're, okay. But watching it now, I never really dawned on the first part of it. The the whole the guy taught this guy taught me something really neat last year. Okay, what what? Uh, these jokes, these jokes are a little too yeah. Um, and then while preparing lunch in the kitchen, we got cousin Catherine telling Ellen about their aunt Edna, and surprises her by saying that they get to take her with them to phoenix which is on the way she's holding off on telling clark this until she comes outside mm -mm -mm. i don't know why they call this stuff hamburger helper it does uh, just fine by itself huh uh i like it better than tuna helper myself don't you clark you're the gourmet around here ed <laughs> no meat in this you get plenty of meat at home. Be polite. Have some ketchup. Real tomato ketchup, Eddie? Oh, nothing but the best. <laughs> and Edna! Helper's getting cold. Is that your hand, Edna? After all these years, you're looking so good. Oh, hi, Edna. Nice to see you again. 
You remember Clark, don't you? You were the ones that sent me the fruitcake for Christmas. It made me so sick. Oh, I'm sorry. We thought you enjoyed fruitcake. You enjoy throwing up every five minutes, Claude? Clark. I thought so. Whew. Well, am I going to eat or am I going to starve to death? Catherine, did you tell Clark and Ellen the good news? Uh, no, I was just about to. Catherine, what's the good news? You're driving me to Phoenix! And then Edna, Eddie, Ellen, Clark, and Catherine are all in the living room. Uh, just conversating, bullshitting, and whatnot. Leading to Eddie finally telling him about how they're all down in the dirts and they go to the bank, this, that, and the third. And Edna finally speaks up and says, Why don't you just ask Clark for the money? He sure as hell can't take a hit. And that's when he asks for some money. And it's a pretty awkward moment here. He ends up asking him for $52,000. We find out later he ends up giving him $500. So, yeah. Um... Thankfully, we don't really pick back up on that throughout the rest of the series. Uh, we see it's touched on in Christmas Vacation, and then it what is touched on is pretty much followed through in Vegas Vacation. And so, yeah, it's, but yeah, this moment here, it's uh, one of the awkward ones. <laughs> Then they're all leaving the next day. Clark, uh, Eddie ends up giving Clark a gift. This is it's a pair of really nice white, uh, like white shoes. Dog's name is Dinky. No one met him the night before because he had the shits in the barn. I've always liked that line. Uh, Vicky hands a handful of joints to Audrey to take with her, and then we get holiday road planned for a second time as they depart for the rest of their journey, leading to their picnic stop. They're all enjoying their lunches together. When we get the second scene with the red Ferrari girl, she's over by the truck drivers enjoying a Coke, it looks like, just conversating. And Clark catches eye on it, and he does this whole dancing bit with the famous bit with the bologna sandwich, and he's dancing around with it. Ellen freaks out because the dog wet on the sandwich bit on the picnic basket, which leads to everyone spitting their food out, including Chevy. Um... <laughs> And then again, Howdy Road's playing. Man, this is the third time already. As the family drives throughout the country towards Camp Comfort with two Ks. Camp Comfort's this campground run by Brian Doyle Murray. Brian Doyle Murray will later on see Christmas Vacation playing the boss of Chevy Chase who gets held hostage at the end of the film. This is the first of his two appearances in this franchise. Not playing the same character, of course. Uh, we, we find out when Audrey and Russ try to go swimming that their pool is pretty much, pretty much on the skits. Uh, Clark has Russ take care of Dinky. Daddy bites. Bite him back. Um, and then he goes in and he rings this bell to get Brian Dolmeroy to come out. $35 per tent. Oh, they're very nice tents and the scenery. <laughs> and then he says, what do you need my address for? We'd like to send out a mailer. And the whole time he's eating this watermelon. Uh, and then Clark tries to work his charm and go for it the next later on that night when they're attacked by the dog Dinky. And the family leaves the next morning and Clark accidentally leaves Dinky tied to the bumper, which leaves to the cop pulling them over. Cop being played by James Keach. 
they actually were tearing up on set filming this scene, Chevy and James, because they were actually in tears trying to stop the laughter because they were just cracking each other up. And, and dude, I would have loved to have been on this set. Hello, officer. What's the problem? Get out of the car. I don't think I was speeding. Was I weaving or something? Shut your mouth, sir. You know, if I wasn't in uniform, I'd split your skull with the butt of this revolver faster than you could say police brutality. Well, officer, whatever it is I've done, I'm sure I can explain. Explain this, you son of a bitch. Oh, my God. You know what the penalty for animal cruelty is in this state. No, sir, I don't. Well, it's probably pretty stiff. Oh, you can't think I'd do this on purpose, sir. I Look, I, I tied him to the rear bumper when I was packing the car. I, uh, it was very confusing. I must have forgot. I, I'm very sorry. I feel terrible. How do you think that little dog feels? Look, I told you I was sorry. It really was an accident. Yeah. Well, I guess I can buy that, sir. But it is a shame. I had a pooch like this one when I was a kid. Poor little guy. Probably kept up with you for a mile or so. Tough little mutt. Yeah. you get pulled over, Clark. You've been exceeding the speed limit for thousands of miles. Dad wasn't speeding. The cop stopped us because Dad forgot to... He was speeding, Rusty. No, he wasn't, Mom. Russ, listen to your mother. I was speeding. I was driving like a maniac. We can all be grateful to this man for stopping us. You see kids a car... Here's the lease, sir. I'm going back to get the rest of the carcass off the road. Thank you, officer. See you. Have a nice day. Let me go to Sonic for lunch and love the bit here with uh, Edna in the back saying, this is your idea of a good restaurant, dog killer. And then the window uh, the window suddenly breaks when the food tray comes out. And then we get the th- thir- fourth, fourth, fourth. Holy shit, I'm starting to lose count. Fourth red Ferrari girl scene. Him seeing himself with her in the passenger seat, then almost hitting a truck and sweating profusely when Ellen asks what's going wrong. I love this shit. Scene ends with Clark telling Alan that he thinks the worst is behind them, and then we see two cases fly off the roof of the wagon, which leads to this. Alan's case with all of her credit cards are now missing. We see this as they're heading back to the car at a motel. Clark says he called and had her cards canceled, and then that they'll just use his cash and cards. And this is when Ellen reminds him that he gave $500 to Eddie and everything else has cost twice as much as he planned for. Clark asks Ellen, don't you trust me? And she says, only if you don't tie me to a rear bumper. And then somewhere in Arizona, we get Clark driving down a closed road while everyone's looking around for directions, which leads to a crash in everyone on set. This whole bit where the, where the truckster flies off the broken road and crashes into the desert 
people on set were actually taking bets that day to see how far it would actually go. I'm not actually sure who actually won that bet, but that's actually a story that I've heard from more than one person about that on set. So, Like I said, I would have loved to have been on this set. It would have been a fun time. Like This and Caddyshack would have been the two sets I would have just loved to have been a part of. Caddyshack, because that... The production of Caddyshack's a movie in its own right. I'd argue this as well, but uh, Caddyshack's more R-rated production, if you know what I'm saying. Whereas this one was the more just PG-13 dumb fun. Uh, Clark and Rust have a first beer together before he takes off for help. Rusty, come on up here! Oh, Russ. I'm gonna have to hike down the road a bit find a service station. I want you to stay here and take care of things, Russ. Um, you be okay, Dad? Oh, sure, sure, sure. You know, I haven't had much of a chance to talk to you man to man, Russ. Well, I've only been a man a few days, Dad. <laughs> yeah. You're growing up so damn fast. I spent the last 15 years of my life developing newer and better food additives. I guess I've missed an awful lot. First, I didn't want to take this vacation. But now I'm glad I did. It's given me a chance to spend a lot more time with you and... Uh, uh, Audrey. Audrey, yeah. You know, it's been real fun for me, too, Dad. Really. Well, except for Aunt Edna. Oh, she doesn't mean to be a pain in the rump. It's just the way she is. Let's not let it spoil our fun, huh? I won't. <laughs> you know, maybe she'd be a nicer person if she had a family of her own. You know, instead of always having to glom on to someone else's, you know. You're a pretty bright little guy. Excuse me, man. <laughs> it's okay, Dad. <sighs> you know what I want to do? <sighs> when I was your age, my dad shared a beer with me, and I thought it was about the best thing in the world. a boy just about every summer we'd take a vacation and you know in 18 years we never had fun but now i have my own family and well we're on our own vacation and you know something russ what that we're gonna have fun <laughs> we're gonna have fun hey don't let your mother smell that beer on your breath. She'll take it out on me. Yeah. Well, I better get a move on if I want to get us out of here by dark. Um, Chevy's ab-living. The broken glasses here and the empty beer can just... Uh, like I said before, Chevy Chase is the king of improvising. It's just He kills it every time. Like It doesn't matter the situation. Like it, it, there's, there's no situation too bad for this man. Um, and then we find out later on, years later, that Anthony Michael Hall revealed that it was actually an empty can that he was drinking all along, that he didn't actually chug a beer. <clears throat> Clark taking off in the desert for a phone or gas station. We see these two, uh, you see this, these two, uh, tribal guys from a distance calling him an asshole. Uh, fucking Clark finally 
finds his family at this gas at at this at this mechanic station. The scream that Chevy gives out is hilarious. Um, John Deal and Mickey Jones are the mechanics here in this scene. Um, John Deal. What's your favorite John Deal performance, guys? Uh, Mickey Jones, he's more of the known. He was in, uh, I believe, Terminator and uh, Total Recall. That's the Schwarzenegger film, not Terminator. Total Recall. Then he had a vacation as a mechanic. I remember him from Dutch. He was also in Dead Bang with Don Johnson. I remember that one. The Beverly Hillbillies, he was one of the family members, Drop Zone, I remember that too. He was in a lot of those early 90s, like, action movies, you know, like, action, like, <laughs> no, I'm just fucking around. Um, and John Deal, I remember him from the horror movie Mikey, he was also from Jurassic Park 3, John Deal was also in, um... Uh, Stripes. He was also in Stripes. So that's where he got this role from. That makes sense. The Stripes connection. Because Stripes, of course, uh, featuring Harold Ramis. And yeah, so that makes sense. Never, I never put that together. Um, so the, the two basically blackball him or whatever. And they, they tell him that they have to give him everything that he's got. And they kind of threaten him with the wrench. And he ends up leaving with tires that are wobbling pretty goddamn badly, if you ask me. And Paid all the money in his wallet for that. So now this family has nothing. They're even asking all he's even asking his daughter Audrey to check the Aunt Edna while she's sleeping and find out how much she has, which is only eleven cents, but still. Um they're low on gas, they're hitting the hotel trying to get their cash from a uh, check. But issues. Can't accept the check without a major credit card, or they have to stay until it clears, which is gonna take them ten working days. Ain't happening for Carl Griswold. He ends up slamming his hand down. Then the fucking cash register magically opens up. He pops the check in there. Takes out all the cash that's inside. So what if he leaves that thousand dollar check and only gets like <clears throat> and only gets like fifty bucks in return? Because you know, I, I'm assuming in 1983 registers were doing cash drops at places. Maybe, maybe not. Maybe so. Fuck yourself. I don't know. Um... Funny bit, grabs a hat, leaves the check, gets the cash, runs out, gets his family. And then um, Grand Canyon moment here, he's in a hurry. They want to have a moment together and see it. And he does this whole, like, the whole family standing. And he kind of does this whole, like, kind of, like, cowers down and back up. <laughs> you, if you've seen the scene, you know what I'm talking about. Um, and then, yeah, Aunt Edna passes away in the next scene. She's being pushed around in the back seat or her corpse rather is being pushed around by Audrey and Russ and they find and Ellen checks her pulse and Clark says everything's fine she'll be fine and Ellen says she's not fine Clark she's dead she causes him to slam on the brake everyone runs out of the car and gets the heebie-jeebies because she's been laying around dead the entire time God knows how long uh, they get the Phoenix, Arizona, uh, and this is where they leave Edna on the side of... Uh, I should back back up. They actually tie Aunt Edna to the top. Now, it wasn't actually Aunt Edna. They, they, no way in hell they were going to actually tie Imogene Coca to the top of a goddamn truckster. It wasn't going to happen. But um, 
yeah, they actually tie her up and, well, you know, and take her to Cousin Norman's house and leave her on the side of the house in the pouring rain because dude's out of town till Monday. So everything that could possibly go wrong for Clark and his vacation plans, it, it, it Jesus, it's been going wrong, plus some. Uh, then they leave her on the patio and to this fucking, I love this scene. Okay, let's go. We can't leave her on the patio. Would you rather I slipped her in the night deposit box at the funeral home? Come on. It's raining all over her. She can't catch a cold now, Mom. Clark, we have to at least say something. Okay, bow your heads, bow your heads. Oh, God. Ease our suffering, and this is our moment of great despair. Yay, admit this good and decent woman into thine arms and the flock in thine heavenly area up there. And Moab, he laid its down behind the band of the Canaanites. And yea, though the Hindus speak of karma... Clark! I implore you, give her, give her a break. Clark! Baruch hallelujah! Clark, this is a serious matter. I'll do it myself. Honey, I'm not an ordained minister. I'm doing my best, okay? Lord... We love this woman with all our heart. Let's not overdo it, Mom. Shut up. We know she deserves better than this. But my husband wants his beloved family to get to Wally World to have their vacation. I hope you understand. Have mercy on his soul. Amen. Let's go. Oh, Come on. I hope at least you kids have learned something about life and death. Yeah, don't die unless somebody's home. And then all of this leads to the Alpers scene. Look, it's all over and done with. We'll find a place to stay for the night and we'll start fresh in the morning. It's fine. I don't want to be in the car anymore. I want to go home. I don't want to go to Wally World. Clark, under the circumstances, I wouldn't mind if we just went home. In retrospect, it seems like a pretty bad idea driving out. It's been one disaster after another. Yeah, it's been a real drag, Dad. Maybe we can try it some other time. Wally World's overrated anyway. What do you think? I think you're all fucked in the head. We're 10 hours from the fucking fun park and you want to bail out. Well, I'll tell you something. This is no longer a vacation. It's a quest. It's a quest for fun. I'm going to have fun and you're going to have fun. We're all going to have so much fucking fun we'll need plastic surgery to remove our goddamn smiles. You'll be whistling symphony doo out of your assholes. <laughs> I got to be crazy. I'm on a pilgrimage to see a moose. Praise Marty Moose. Holy shit! Dad, you want to ask for something? So, after this audio, Clark's "Don't touch" is my favorite bit ever. Like literally, I still do it to this day. If like, Madeline and me were joking around one another, she'll like put her arm on me to say like, "Now, Dad," and I'll say, "Don't touch." I do it to this day. It's one of my favorite bits, and even watching it yesterday again for the episode here, I just laugh. I ass off every single time. It's good shit. Uh, then we get Ellen and Clark fighting about his outburst in the hotel room, which leads to Clark going down to the bar by himself, trying to pick up different girls. Are we sure Clark Griswold's a really good guy after all? Because he gets pissed off with his wife, and the first thing he does is goes down to a bar here, and we see him try to make moves on two different fucking women before he runs into, aha, uh-huh, the red Ferrari girl. 
And so he goes over and plays it off like he is um, the owner of the hotel chain. And he's going around from hotel to hotel with a faux family trying to give off the illusion that they're vacationing because he doesn't like his identity being revealed. Um, <laughs> funny bit where she says, I thought you were going to say you were for the CIA. And he says, no, but I used to. Yeah, too messy. <laughs> Again, it's Chevy, because I know that shit wasn't in the script. Um, <clears throat> which leads to them, you know, in this scene, I notice a good bit of Chevy's humor comes from the faces that he makes as he speaks. When him and her are going back and forth in the bar, and the whole spiel with uh, him telling her about the whole, you know, the, the, the restaurant chain and the CIA talk and all that shit. Yeah, dude, his face, his his facial features, his ad, like Chevy Chase. This was like the golden era of Chevy Chase. I swear, no one did it better than this guy. Even to this day, I'll even rival that he. I'll even argue that he was better than Murray himself, as far as comedy goes. Chevy Chase was a god in the eighties, and this movie is no different. I I. Just the stuff that he does just never ceases to amaze me. Um, this leads to the pool scene with everyone, um, with Chevy and the whole, this is crazy, this is crazy, this is crazy. And he jumps into the water with her. They're both naked. He flips out because it's so cold, which leads to everyone waking up and coming outside. If you're really trying to be sneaky with, with another woman, would you really be yelling like that? I mean, I've been in some cold water myself, but uh, I, I <laughs> comedic stuff. I know, I know. So this leads to Ellen coming out and then going back inside. She's not having any of his excuses anymore. Um, and then Clark goes inside, plays it off to her, works his charm on her. And then she ends up forgiving him. All is forgotten, but she wants to have a little fun too. And then they all, and then they both go outside themselves, do a little skinny dipping as well. And then everyone being very okay with Clark after seeing what he did to Ellen is pretty troublesome in my opinion. But hey, whatever. Which leads us to Los Angeles, California, and they arrive. To Wally World, which is actually a matte painting in the parking lot of the Santa Anita race in the Santa Anita Race Park. The interior was actually filmed at Six Flags Magic Mountain, but the uh, this whole scene with them driving down to the parking lot and you see in the, the the park from a distance, yeah, it's not an actual theme park. That was actually a matte painting that they actually put inserted into the uh, the top half of the uh, the film. So they go. Um, they have a little chariots of fire scene with Rusty and Clark running to the uh, to the entrance because they parked to the very back and they're like, "Why'd you park to the very back?" Because I tell my daughter this to this very day: first one's here, first one's out of here. Everyone's racing to get out of the parking lot, and at the end of the day, you will be the first one out of there because you will have the per- you will have the closest spot to the exit. Smart thinking, Clark Griswold. Smart thinking. So, like I mentioned, this chariots of fire scene with Clark and Ch- with Clark and Rust racing to the uh, entrance. Uh, it was really, really hot when they filmed this scene. The pavement was even hotter. I'm talking like 140 degrees Fahrenheit hot, to the point that Anthony Michael Hall actually had heat stroke, 
and if you look closely in this scene, actually, it's you can see like he's trying to fake a smile, like he's having fun, but he was he had got he had got to be miserable, like having to act in the circumstances under those circumstances as well. Like I don't know. <sighs> The things you do for movies, I swear. Then we get to the entrance and we get the moose with the sign. The infamous Sorry Folks Parks Close sequence. Then they double back to get a BB gun. And then back to the park. Where we are introduced to John Candy. As well as Frank McRae. I, I, I feel Frank McRae doesn't get enough appreciation or acknowledgement overall for his role in this movie. Everyone always talks about John Candy in this park, in this sequence, but yeah, John Candy's amazing in this sequence, but Frank McRae is the guy that he actually has ordered to roll down, get down on the ground and roll around like a dog. That's Frank McRae. Who's Frank McRae? Well, if you've seen Last Action Hero, he played the captain who always talked really fast and yelled, had pretty much the same role in National Lampoon's, aha, uh-huh, Loaded Weapon 1, he was also in Rocky Two, Used Cars, 48 Hours, Red Dawn, License to Kill, another 48 Hours. He was in The Wizard. He played a he was a truck driver, Spanky in The Wizard. Um, yeah, uh, still around. 1970. Still 76 years old. He's a former football player. Uh, he was the front, he was the other security guard in this scene. So yeah, shout out to Frank McCray, man. Seriously, doesn't get enough acknowledgement for that. And yeah, they go to the Screaming Meanie, which is a roller coaster. And uh, John Candy tells Russ that he had a bad experience once that he threw up. Uh, my question: I love this part. I love this whole sequence here. I really do. But I've always thought this. And I'm going to ask it now: Who's operating these rides? for all of them during these scenes like I, I've never been a park operator but and, and I'm no dum-dum but I think you'd have to have an actual physical person standing there operating these things because someone's got to hit the buttons to, to opt to you know start the ride stuff like that I don't know maybe there's a button you can push and it activates itself I, I don't know maybe let me know if there is. Maybe let me know if I'm wrong. I don't know. So the SWAT team then arrives. And there are the rest of the families enjoying themselves at the park. We see different scenes at them on different rides as the SWAT team is forming different places themselves. Then they go to the loop de doop roller coaster. And this is where Clark and the and John Candy, who is Russ Lasky, by the way. They get into it about the gun. He says it's a BB gun. He says, no, it's not. It's a Magnum P.I. And he can, it can even break skin. Yes, it can. It can definitely break skin. Watch. And he shoots him. And he shoots him in the ass. He's trying to leave. Back up. You probably thought, back up. It's a Magnum P.I. <laughs> he says it so cleverly. Like, it's nothing. Like, the jokes are hidden, people. Like, that's how Chevy Chase operates, I swear. Because um, even it took me a while to even recognize that Magnum P.I. I, okay, I get it. Didn't even know he was joking that he was. That's how good Chevy is. Um, and then he shoots him in the ass and he sits back down. 
<clears throat> then he get off the ride and they're in front of the whippersnapper, which to this day I'm not familiar with. Not sure what the whippersnapper is, if it's in terms to a ride or a restaurant or maybe in a section of the park, which would be a weird part, which would be a weird thing to begin with. It's like, like, hey, honey, meet me in the kids at the whippersnapper. Like, <laughs> and then we get Roy Wally, played by Eddie Bracken, showing up, who uh, gets talked out of pressing charges by Clark. Uh, Mr. Wally? Huh? Roy? Uh, I think I can make some sense out of this. Well, somebody better explain, or they'll, uh, there'll be a lot of explaining to do. Uh, I'm Clark W. Griswold. Uh, and, uh, oh, uh, this is my wife, Ellen. Hi. We're really big fans of yours. We watch your show all the time. Oh, and uh, my children, Audrey and Rusty. Oh. <laughs> nice family. <laughs> uh, we're from Chicago, Roy, the Windy City. Oh, yes, I've been there many times. Yeah, we just spent uh, two weeks of living hell driving out here. Lost a very dear member of the family along the way. But the important thing, Roy, is that we could have gone anywhere we wanted to this summer, you know? Anywhere in the world. But when I asked my kids, <laughs> when I said, kids, you remember? When I said, where would you like to go this summer more than any place in the world, huh? What'd you say? Why? Shut up, Russ. Audrey, remember? Uh... Wally World, Dad? Wally World, Dad. Roy Wally World. I, I don't imagine you have any children, Mr. Wally. Are you kidding? I have seven. I thought yeah. so. Seven. Did you hear that, honey? You look so young. So you do look oh, very young. Oh, did you do uh, Did you ever drive them across the uh, country? About? Oh, hell yeah. She one took the whole clan to Florida one year. Worst two weeks I've ever had in my life. The smell from the back seat was to unbearable. I knew that smell. I know that smell. But Roy, can you imagine how your kids would have felt if when you got to Florida it was closed? Oh, they don't close Florida. No, you. Well, I know they don't close the state of Florida. I, I, but uh, you know, when we when we got here to Roy Wally World, and it was closed down, Roy. If you'd seen the look on my kids' faces. I guess I just went a little haywire. You went a lot haywire, if you ask me. Well, I'm very sorry, sir, and I'm sorry to all of these people here. I, I, I didn't mean any harm. I, I just want you to ask yourself one thing. If you were... If you were me, wouldn't you do the same thing for your children? No. And then the film ends with everyone in the SWAT team included riding the screaming meanie to Lindsey Buckingham's dancing across the USA as a freeze frame that cuts to various photos from the vacation over the end credits of the movie starts. With the final picture being the Griswold on the plane ride back home all wearing Wally Moose hats to end vacation. Let's take a look at box office receipts. In the operational funds box... We will deposit 250,000 American dollars. You take it out. We put more in. I want receipts. All right, so National Lampoon's Vacation was released on July 29th, 1983 from Warner Brothers Pictures, opening up in first place to $8.3 million, going on to gross $31.4 million worldwide on a $15 million budget. And like I said, it opened up in first place, beating out Jaws 3, Star Wars Episode 6, Return of the Jedi, Crawl, Staying Alive, Private School, and Trading Places. So yeah, overall this movie made a pretty penny. Like I said before earlier in the broadcast, it actually 
spawn various sequels, a reboot, a um, couple reunions over the years. Um, and then the film itself, you know, the, like I, I talked about the legacy at the top of the show, but, you know, here I'm looking at it, it came out the 29th of July in 83, first place. Second weekend, also first place. Third weekend, we're in mid-August now, a month later almost, still first place. And then it starts going down, and it drops here, but it stays consistent. The fourth weekend, fourth place with a 34% drop-off, not bad. Fifth place in the fifth weekend, okay, 15% drop-off, not bad at all. And then the next weekend, which is Labor Day weekend, 83, it goes up to fourth place, holding to about $4 million, not much of a drop-off at all, 29, and then, and then it was in fourth, it was in fourth place for three weeks in a row, and then it went up to third place, September 23rd, that weekend, it went up to third place, with only a 16% drop-off, and then after that, it went down to ninth, and that's where it stayed until it ended at Drun in, in October, so yeah, um, very successful, very successful, um, Box office wise. Let's talk about the young bloods here. You ain't gonna believe this. Well, you used to fit right here. I'd hold you up and say to your mother, This kid's gonna be the best kid in the world. This kid's gonna be somebody better than anybody ever knew. And you grew up good and wonderful. It was great just watching. Every day was like a privilege. We got three for this one. Start with the first Christy Brinkley, who I mentioned was a supermodel around the time of this release this was her first feature-length movie and uh yeah she didn't really go on to have much of a film career but she definitely had a very notable notable career uh in in the uh modeling environment in, in the modeling world um that's in my you know if you ask me that's what she's known for she's a model then an actress and then entrepreneur. That's how I would describe Christy Brinkley. Um, as far as you know, film-wise goes, uh, I mean, acting really wasn't her shtick. In fact, a lot of her roles came from this franchise because she would reprise the role in Vegas Vacation, and then she would spoof it again for various commercials. Uh, for DirecTV, um, there was an Infinity Model commercial, and then she was actually on the Goldbergs, uh, a film, a, a show that uh, explores 80s pop, 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 80s pop culture. So she was on that as well. And looking down, she was on Mad About You. She popped up on Parks and Rec. Um, she. Oh, I didn't know this. She actually made her stage debut as Roxy Hart in Chicago back in 2011. It's about 10 years ago. I didn't know that. So, yeah. Um, and then Entrepreneur, as in the Total Gym that she did with Chuck Norris. Um, she, I'm sure she had a line of other products as well, but that's the one thing I remember her for. <clears throat> so that's Chrissy Brinkley. So second on this list, Jane Krakowski who, it wasn't her first film, but early enough that I would say this, if anything, this elevated her career and got her known. 
Um, in fact, this was her first role. Now that I'm looking at it more, so yeah, she had no prior roles before this film came out. Um, to my knowledge, she was in commercials, and I believe that this was when I watched the documentary. She just said that it was a normal audition process, and she got the part. You know, she won it like any other actress uh, up and coming. That's exactly what she did. So good on her. And then finally, rounding out the category, we have Dana Barron, who plays Audrey. Now, Dana Barron didn't really have the biggest film career. I do know she reprised the role of Audrey in Christmas Vacation 2, a movie I was mentioning before. Uh, yeah, no. <laughs> um, I'm not going to see it. Other than that, I remember her being in a horror movie called... Oh, what the hell was it? Python, I think. It was a large snake. I believe it was called Python. Other than that, Dana Barron really, I I don't, I know she had one role prior to this. She had a very small role in He Knows You're Alone, which is a, a horror slash thriller. I'd argue it's a thriller movie, not a horror movie from 1980, which also happens to be Tom Hanks' first film as well. Um, other than that, uh, not a whole lot coming from Dana Barron's filmography. So, let's meet the cast. Hey, you guys. Everybody focus up, okay? All eyes here. I would like to announce that Ben and I are planning to produce a musical number from Godspell for the talent show tonight. <clears throat> I'm sorry, Ben is producing. I am directing slash choreographing. I'm only speaking from personal experience, but if you can't carry a tune, don't come into the audition environment and waste our time. For serious, okay? Okay, and bring a lot of movement clothes, AKA jazz shoes, dance belts, lycras, et al. And seriously, FYI, you guys, this is not an excuse to get out of your regular activities. This is an excuse to do some good musical theater. So be prepared, be enthusiastic, and leave your bullshit attitude and baggage at the door, because we don't need it! So first off, we have Chevy Chase as Clark Griswold. Now, I'll just go down the filmography of Chevy Chase, and we'll leave it at that. National Lampoon's Vacation, Modern Problems, Fletch, Caddyshack, Foul Play, Seems Like Old Times, Under the Rainbow, Modern Problems, European Vacation, Follow That Bird, Spies Like Us, Three Amigos, Funny Farm, Caddyshack 2, Ugh, Fletch Lives, Christmas Vacation, Nothing But Trouble. I think that's coming soon to the podcast, actually. You heard it here first. Memoirs of an Invisible Man, John Carpenter for the win. Last Action Hero, Cops and Robertsons, Vegas Vacation, Dirty Work, Orange County, Snow Day. All right. Do I have to say anything else? SNL. <laughs> Community. <laughs> Alright. Um, next up, we have Beverly D'Angelo, who plays Ellen Griswold. Beverly D'Angelo had a very good career. Cause she was actually in um, Hair and the Coal Miner's Daughter, which she was actually nominated for a Golden Globe for uh, prior to this role. And then, of course, she reprised the role as Ellen Griswold in the later films. And she was in Pacific Heights, a movie called Lightning Jack that I vaguely remember with Cuba Gooding Jr. And 
what's his name, uh, Paul Hogan, Crocodile Dundee himself. Other than that, uh, Beverly D'Angelo has twins with Al Pacino, who she was with for a good good amount of years. She was with for a good amount of years, but never actually got married to. Um, and yeah, she's you know still doing very well today. Uh, she's still doing. She's still doing very well today. Just like her co-star, Anthony Michael Hall, who we will be seeing later on this year as Tommy Doyle in this Halloween's, well, this October's Halloween Kills. Um, other than that, Freddy Got Fingered comes to mind because I don't know. <laughs> um, Edward Scissorhands. Uh, funny gag with Rust and Audrey here. They never, their roles never get reprised with the minor exception being Audrey in Christmas Vacation 2, which isn't even canon, if you ask me. <laughs> um, but yeah, Anthony Michael Hall. Um, and then he was in the, uh, the Dead Zone TV series on USA Network for a big handful of years. Uh, then he was also on that film Pirates of Silicon Valley. Um, and then he was also... Was it two years after this? I want to say he did SNL. Yeah, I often forget he was on SNL. Like not as a host, but not as like a guest star, but like as a host. Um, and part of he was part of that Brad Pack back in the eighties. You know, the Breakfast Club, this Sixteen Candles. Um, You know, he had a great career in the 80s, especially at this point in 83. He was just on fire, you know, and then he's still getting work. It's not like he went anywhere. Um, I'm, I'm glad he's still getting work. Consistency is everything, especially in this fucking Hollywood business. Um, but yeah, it, unlike Dana Barron, his co-star, which I, I just talked about her, um... Imogene Coca was um, a star from another time. She had been, I think, retired from acting. If she wasn't retired, she was uh, not... (sighs) Let's just say this wasn't her kind of role. And I do know that she had a fear of driving. So they... I I don't want to say they tricked her into doing this role. But I believe I read... If I read it properly... Um, that she was actually um, very lucratively convinced to take the role, and there was also the 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 whole thing with it wasn't actually someone behind the wheel that the car, because all you know, this film was actually on set. I'm gonna get this film was actually on location, um, which I'm gonna get into in a little bit, but they actually had the car for all the, in the all the car scenes on an actual like truck so like a like the back of a hitch truck so it's it's good stuff so Imogene Coco was a big comic actress uh, best known for her role opposite of Sid Caesar on his show Your Show of Shows um, she was also 
she started out as a vaudeville, um, did a lot of predominant television work. Um, she had like a rubbery face capable of her just broadest expressions, which are presented in this film. Um, but I would say like the, 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 the meat of her work stemmed from television. And it was from like the 40s, 50s, 60s, um, even through the 70s and 80s, popping up on the Brady Bunch and Fantasy Island and the uh, Beverly Hillbillies, um, just Carol Burnett Show, Sid Caesar, like I mentioned, and then Love American Style, Bewitched. A lot of television work came from this actress. And then Vacation came along, and like I said, they lucratively convinced her to take the role, and she eventually did, and the rest is history, as they say. So that's Aunt Edna. Randy Quaid as Cousin Eddie. You know, the only thing I'm really going to say about Randy Quaid is that I just hope that one day he's able to do something and get his shit together and make a change and turn things around because it's not too late. He's never, you know, he's 70 now, but what, what what's age? It's a number. You know, do it for... Just do it for yourself, if anything, you know. Don't do it for the fans. Don't do it for me. Don't do it for Tom down the street who thought you were funny as shit in Christmas vacation. No. Do it for you, bro. Fucking do it. It's not too late, you know. I know how you did the fans wrong a couple years back at that horror convention in Monster Mania, but it's not too late, you know. All can be forgiven. <clears throat> and that's all I'm really going to say about Randy Quaid because... We know who Randy Quaid is. And then rounding out everything is John Candy, who is the security guard, Rust Lasky. Uh, I miss John Candy. I miss John Candy so much. Um, Took this role because, well, there was almost not a version with him in this, and I'm going to get in that in a little bit. But, yeah, it... I mean, he's the star of my favorite film of all time, Planes, Trains, and Automobiles. Outside of that, I love The Great Outdoors. I love Uncle Buck. Summer Rental's a good one. Even this dramatic role is Only the Lonely, JFK. I mean, Home Alone. John Candy was just on the up and up and then just left us too fucking soon. Way too soon. All right, let's take a look at the crew. Well, my friend, this is crew. But don't even think about it. You don't look like you could hang, Jermaine. The name's Jamal, and I'll fuck your crew up. Who are they? Who are they? All right, so Vacation was directed by Harold Ramis. Harold Ramis. How do you know that name? Well, Harold Ramis was also an actor. He portrayed Egon in Ghostbusters, of course. It's probably where the bulk of his fans remember him from. But on top, like I said, he was also a big director. Uh, Caddyshack, Vacation, Club Paradise, Groundhog Day, Multiplicity, Analyze This and That, Bedazzled, The Ice Harvest, underrated John Cusack flick, by the way, and Year One, uh, before his untimely passing back in 2014. Um, I was always a big Hill Ramis fan. I 
thought he was really funny. Um, I didn't know until later on in my life that he was actually a director and a, and a writer as well. I always thought he was just an actor, you know, Egon and and then um, Stripes. I, I didn't know of this other side of his career that um, actually, in my opinion, is much bigger than his acting career. Um, if you ask me, I think he's more known for his directing credits than his acting credits, but that's me personally. Um, and then, like I said, when he passed away in 2014, like my heart dropped. Cause it just it came out of nowhere. I didn't even know he was sick, and it, it yeah, it, it's it sucks. Um, it, it was it was it was a real downer. It really was. Um, so yeah, it's at least we have things like this to remember him by. Because um, every time I think about him, this is the first thing I think of is vacation. Honest to God. And then Ghostbusters. Produced by Maddie Simmons. Maddie Simmons was a producer from <clears throat> he was like a, he was a an American and T V producer. Worked with uh, National Lampoon, like I mentioned at the top of the show. Uh, he was the guy who got this made. He's the man who took it from Ramus and got it thrown around and finally Warner Brothers bit and you know, he didn't really have that many credits because um, like I said it was it was National Lampoon that he was primarily working for and um, he's yeah he's that's not really not much more to say uh, about the man other than he gained his greatest fame while serving as the chief executive officer uh, chief executive officer of the 21st century communications so, and then he unfortunately passed away last year, the age of 93, so at least he had a very long life to live. Um, written for the screen by John Hughes. John Hughes. John Hughes is a man that we're going to be talking a lot about on this show. John Hughes is responsible for my favorite film of all time. John Hughes is responsible for many people's favorite films of all time. John Hughes is responsible for... Every big teen film from the 1980s, John Hughes is responsible for so much and then some. John Hughes is a man. John Hughes is a rare commodity. He's something that doesn't happen often. Um, his wave came and went, like most people's careers do, but his legacy lives a different one and like I mentioned before a lot of people when they think about teen films in general he's what comes to mind because he's responsible for so much Weird Science The Breakfast Club 16 Candles to name a few his first few and then he wrote other things Some Kind of Wonderful John um, Home Alone this <laughs> you know he wasn't just a director he was also a writer and it and so many people so many actors owe John Hughes owe their careers to John Hughes and so so much more um 
I don't think there's someone in Hollywood who has the legacy that John Hughes has. There's not there's not too many people in Hollywood who have the legacy that John Hughes carries. And then music by Ralph Burns. Cinematography by Victor Kemper and edited by Pembroke J. Herring. Finger licking good. Finger licking good. Alright, so two scenes. Number one, Wally World. I love Wally World. This is... It's kind of hard to believe that the original ending didn't even have Wally World in it. Um, it's It's crazy to me that I, there, there was a version of this film that existed at one point that did not have Wally World. I don't even know how that can even happen, but it did. Or almost did, at least. But, um... Yeah, it's it's just everything in the movie leads up to that moment, that last fifteen minutes or so at the park, and you know it's maybe it's just the amusement park fanatic in me that you know, or the kid in me say that too, that just you know it just brings out the child in me, and that gets me all giddy inside, and it's fun and funny and seeing Chevy Chase and John Candy going back at it, you know, going back and forth with each other, you know, it's just two comic, two comedic gods together for like 10 minutes at a time. It's like I said, everything built up to the moment and it's well worth it. The, 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 the ending of this movie in Wilder world is the ultimate payoff for any comedy. And then there's cousin Eddie's like, I've talked about that earlier throughout in the plot breakdown. Um, He's the highlight of these films, and their 10-minute wherever, their 10, 15 minutes at at his place in in the middle of nowhere. It's just, I love watching it, you know. Like I said, some of the humor is not the best. (laughs) Some of it doesn't hold up the best, I mean. But overall, um, Cousin Eddie's and Wally World are the two scenes that stand out. They're my favorite scenes of this film by far. Biggest takeaways. Mr. Madison, what you've just said is one of the most insanely idiotic things I have ever heard. At no point in your rambling, incoherent response were you even close to anything that could be considered a rational thought. Everyone in this room is now dumber for having listened to it. I award you no points, and may God have mercy on your soul. So as I mentioned during the plot breakdown, Chevy Chase is the king of ablaming and improvising. And he's just so on point, regardless of his behind-the-scenes personality behavior, because that's another story for another time, I guess. Because um, he wasn't the most liked person behind the scenes. Uh, his characters are just, you know, they're pretentious as shit, but... They're hilarious as hell. Get it? Um, and Clark Griswold is probably my favorite performance of his, honestly. It, it has to be. I know a lot of people are going to say Caddyshack, and others will say whatever they have to say. But for me, you know, there's something about Clark Griswold that just, it's just a character that I can relate to that's just so hilarious. And, you know, yeah. So Chevy Chase, just, I, I love. Ah man, like I said, it's gonna be it's gonna be rough when he goes because I know he's getting up there in age. Not to bring this down right now, but uh, speaking truth, 
Um, this is just an enjoyable comedy from start to finish. Something that never gets old, never gets tiresome. I could put this movie on right now after this broadcast. After recording this, I can put it on and never get and and, and watch it all the way through, and be just as happy as I was as a, as two days ago when I watched it, or yesterday when I watched it. It doesn't matter. This is a timeless classic. It's a feel good movie, and I just I never get bored with it. You know, I grew up with I grew up with it, and I'm gonna continue to grow up with it. And then finally, this is the perfect comedy. They don't make movies, certainly comedies like this anymore. As soon as I press play, the biggest smile on my face imaginable forms and stays there for 98 minutes, and it never leaves. And that just, you know, it it ties in with the second takeaway. But all in all, it's you get my point. You get the big picture here, what I'm trying to tell you. All right. Alternative versions from another dimension. So like I mentioned before, it's kind of hard to believe that there was a version of this film that once existed without Wally World, but there was. In the original ending of this film that was filmed and was test screened for audiences, hence the reason why it was changed, um, everything plays the same as the original movie. They go to Wally World, they see the moose, he gets punched, they go to the BBs, they, they go to the sporting goods store, and Clark gets the BB gun. But that's where the movie changes. Instead of doubling back to Wally World, like in the original theat- like in the theatrical version, in the original ending, they go to Roy Wally's house and actually take the man hostage. Now, sounds familiar, because yeah, this ending was actually recycled for Christmas Vacation's ending. But originally, it was here with Roy Wally instead. And not... It wasn't argued that it was too dark, which would be my argument, but I don't know. Um, yeah, no Wally World. <laughs> so they went back and changed that. They actually was granted uh, three quarters of a million dollars from Warner Brothers to do the reshoots. However, John Candy was brought in, and John Candy was paid a hefty one million dollars for his appearance in this movie, which is about 10 minutes, if that. So, yeah, that that was the original ending of this movie um, that was changed because of just poor test screen audience uh, scores. Because when you have a test... All right, the way test, test screenings work is you have a test audience that you just pull people off the streets or wherever, and you get them in there, and you screen the movie. It's not even finished nine times out of ten. Or it's just, you know, just a rough cut of the movie and the you score it there's a rating system that they have and they collect all the cards at the end of the movie and they take it back to the studio and go over them together so i believe that there's a spot for you know what, be more specific what would you change and everyone the general consensus was change the ending because there's no wally world you would think with everything the trip the whole entire movie's purpose is for Clark Griswold to see Roy to, to get to Wally World with his family, but that never happens at all. The movie goes to Roy Wally's instead and then ends. No. So they got all the money together and, and they got John Candy on board. 
obviously they had to hire Frank McCray, unless he was someone else in the original version, I'm not sure. But then they had the however much Six Flags charged to rent their park out for however many days. I'd imagine probably two or three days is what they would need. Um, I know they filmed the roller coaster scenes like extensively with like numerous takes. Of, that's why um, <clears throat> Beverly D'Angelo claims she had a stunt double riding the roller coasters for her because she's in the back really in these scenes. You don't really see too much of her. But uh, yeah, apparently they had to ride the rides a lot and a lot of people got sick. So it's unfortunate. Me, I'd be a I'd be like a pig in shit. Uh, I'm telling you, I love roller coasters. I really do. All right, Mulligan moment. If you had to do it all over again, would you make the same choices? So my Mulligan moment for this movie, and I kind of hinted towards it in the sequence, but tone down the incest material just a little bit. It's not entirely... Not entirely, but definitely cut everything. Maybe one joke. Cut. Not entirely, but definitely cut everything, but maybe one joke altogether. Because it's it's a bit much, you know, especially with uh, Dale and uh, Vicky and their experiences. Vicky's with her father and Dale's with just some random stranger dude. It's just, I don't know. And that's not even incest. That's just fucking disgusting <clears throat> for for Dale's situation. But those two, yeah, uh, just cut it down just a wee bit. <laughs> I mean, I get why the humor is there, but yeah. Um, is it safe? While the events of this film are played to comedic effects, overall, I don't see anything in Vacation that would be deemed triggering. There might be an argument made for anyone who's been cheated on before, but again, mm, and and also PETA might have a field day regarding the dinky scene. Other than those, everything in this film is in satire fashion. This movie lampoons what a typical cross-country vacation is supposed to be. Finally, the last word. All right, let me break it down to you right quick. Andre say he catch any apple ball, anybody can throw. Coffee say that's bullshit. You a buster. Andre say roll up, bitch. Coffee say I'll give you all my gun if you catch this ball. He threw the ball. Andre called. Andre say pay me my money. Coffee say all right. So to put a bow on this, almost forty years old. Absolutely, positively, in my top three all-time favorite comedies of all time. I'm not sure where it would stack up overall, but it's definitely my top three favorite comedies. Um, thanks to my mother, it's a movie that I grew up with. It's a movie that I got into at a very young age. Um, some of the some of the material maybe not the best, but uh, yeah. It doesn't matter. I mean, I was watching the bloodiest of horror films at the age of six and shit like that. It, it's, and I'm fine <laughs> for the record. I am perfectly fine. <laughs> no, um, seriously, the Chevy Chase has never been better. This was our introduction to the Griswolds, who we would see numerous times for years to come. Um, there's no better way to start a franchise than this. It's hilarious. It's legendary. It holds up. It's 
the perfect comedy. Um, nothing to. I don't feel that the you know the line is ever there's a line that's ever crossed as far as the humor goes in this movie. So it's not like gross out stuff. And you know this. It's a movie that I've showed my kids. It's a timeless classic. It really is. It this everyone knows about this movie. Everybody knows Holiday Road. And I forgot to even talk about Holiday Road. You know, it's <laughs> Holiday Road's fucking so you know, the fact that they were supposed to get they wanted to get Fleetwood Mac, but then Lindsey Buckingham's like, nah, I'll do it. And he contributed this and Dancing Across the USA, which are two songs that I go out of my way to listen to from time to time because the great damn songs and they make me think of this movie. And I love this movie, so I'm always in a happy mood when I hear them. So, you know, that's what kind of effect this film has on me. That's what I was getting at. So, And finally, this film is sponsored by the Wagon Queen Family Truckster, the ultimate station wagon for your family's next cross-country adventure. It may only come in metallic pee, but the only green you'll be seeing is all that extra cash from saving in gas. Just head on down to Lou Glutz Motors and ask for Ed before it's too late. This is the automobile you should be using, the Wagon Queen family truckster. You think you hate it now, but wait till you drive it. And all that being said, this film definitely gets the film effects seal of approval, and that'll bring things home for this show. One down, many more to follow. So next Monday is the 25th anniversary of The Birdcage, starring Robin Williams, Gene Hackman, and Nathan Lane. That's why I am happy to announce that I am going to be covering it for the 25th anniversary. It is a film that I love for many, many personal reasons, which I will be talking about on the show, as well as talking into, as well as talking about many other things about the film. Um... Can't wait to talk about it. Can't wait to talk to you guys about it. And, uh, yeah, that'll be next week here on The Film Effect, talking about The Birdcage for its 25th anniversary. Guys, before I get out of here, I want to remind you, you can check out previous episodes of the show on iTunes, Spotify, Google, Pandora, iHeartRadio, Stitcher, and wherever else you enjoy your favorite shows. And I'm also on Facebook and Instagram, both the Film Effect Podcast. Follow me there. Leave me a five-star review and a positive rating. Helps with the algorithm. Helps with change. It helps with growth. It helps the show going. That being said, guys, I hope everyone takes care and has a great rest of your days. All right, guys, that all being said, I hope you guys take care. Stay safe out there. Take care of one another. And I'll see you next week talking about the birdcage. Alright guys, take care.